Cookie level, cookie level. I'm losing it. I'm losing my sense of excitement. Welcome to the 65 Days of Static Mystery Podcast. We don't have a topic. And as I've just pointed out, you can't just say any old bullshit and call it a podcast. But it's time for another episode. And so me and Paul are here. We're trying to make better plans for the next podcast. But this podcast is going to be about going to play a festival in a field that you've played before. And now you're slightly further down the bill and older. <laughs> Why don't we talk about that? Or we could uh-huh. talk about the festival that we went to together to see New Order at. Oh, that was good, wasn't it? Because you really like New Order. More than anyone else in the world likes New Order. I really like New Order, but not as much as you. I think they're the best band that has ever existed. Why? I mean, sure. But do you not think that as we've gotten older and... Mm-hmm. Uh, seasoned mm-hmm. we've realised that um, don't do that that we've realised that um, <laughs> there's no such thing as bests yeah right well so that's, why are they that's, that's entirely true but, mm. and I was thinking about this I was chatting about this the other day I don't know if it was something specific from the Mark Fisher K-Punk book or if it was just his general ethos because he absolutely has very strong feelings about bands Yes. Right? Yes. And I can't remember the specifics of the conversation, really, but it was sort of like the idea that, yeah, obviously, it's not important. The world is literally ending. There's, like, calamity everywhere. Siberian bushfires. Yeah. Pumping out more carbon into the atmosphere than has ever been pumped. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And Terrifying. um, And we laugh. And we laugh out of... In our Riverside studio. Yeah. On that one level, on that slightly wider perspective, yeah. bands really are not important, or opinions about bands at least. Like music in itself is great yeah. uh, and valuable uh, always, yes. no matter what the state of things. Having strong feelings about a band, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, when you're steeped in pop culture as a teenager, it's sort of like a really useful bubble where you can have very strong opinions and test them out with your friends. Yes. Without, I don't know, ending up on uh, 8chan or something. Oh, right. And like... Uh, oh, there's an 8chan now. Apparently, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I read about you this. You know, like... It's where I, all the baddies are. Exactly. And ideologies. And... All the white boys. Strong opinions. Mm. Weaponized and toxified and turned into nightmares. But, like, I remember when I was a teenager, I really, really disliked Sonic Youth. Yes. Uh, for no reason whatsoever. And I really, really like them. And yeah. We didn't know each other. No. And that is the, t- the core tension in 65 Days of Static. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be. Yeah. Because um, you secretly think I'm an idiot <laughs> for liking Sonic Youth. And I know you're one for not liking them. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, and they're probably really good, aren't they? Oh, they're okay. Like, but, you know, I don't listen, I don't listen to Sonic Youth. I, I they're, they're not no, as good as New Order. They're not as good as New Order. <laughs> um, that's, but that's an objective fact. The thing about New Order is that they existed in a point in time. Yes. Like when I saw them a few years ago, still use Twitter, mm. I think I excitedly said after the show that perhaps New Order were like what all of modernity was leading to, which might be slightly over the top. But on reflection, I don't think it's over the top at all. I think it's like the pinnacle of a certain kind of development of pop music. Um, and they were, you know, it, if it wasn't them, it would have been someone else. But it was them. They were there. Like, they did it first. And they invented this vocabulary of, of sound and 
song arrangements and what they did back then is still like cutting edge compared to everything that came afterwards with, with all of their sort of you know rearrangements of songs and songs never sort of having properly mm. frozen forms yes and they were doing loads of guitars and they were having loads of electronics and it wasn't a big deal and Stephen Morris kind of like produced the gap of drumming with it alongside electronics which is insanely good yeah yeah but that's not why they were good the other night they were good the other night because they played bangers yeah they played non-stop non-stop bangers even if you didn't know the song uh-huh they were bangers yeah and there were there were a couple of songs i didn't know mind-blowingly good yeah and it's very rarely that you go to see a band and it is if you don't know the tunes they're just immediately bangers mm-hmm. i think that's important yeah, but even if you don't know the tunes, you've probably heard them at some point in your yeah. life. Yeah, they played. Order, um, isn't it? Um, although actually, the, the amount of new songs they played as well is fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Good they played them. "Your Silent Face," didn't they? Mm-hmm. Which has that? It's not hom. Is it a harmonica? No, it's uh, it's worse than that. It's like a blow. Melo- melodica, is How'd it? How do you get away with that? I don't know. I don't know. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's I played it in the kitchen yesterday. It was still brilliant, but it shouldn't be. Yeah, and all those visuals. Like a kind of glossy corporate hotel promo video. Oh yeah, that was clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really interesting. Good. Um, so that's New Order and Sonic Youth and Sonic Youth. Yeah, whatever. I went up to Bun's house. Uh huh. And anyone who's been involved with Sixty Five for a long, long time will know Bunny. who used to sell our T-shirts for us, and he is still in merch, the merch game. And as everybody knows. The people in the merch game are the richest people in music. <laughs> I went to his new house where he's built a sort of crystal back room. Right. Leading onto a veranda. Uh-huh. And there's just, like, one of the walls is made of vinyl. Of course. And as far as I can tell, he does very little of anything. He just listens to expensive vinyl. Right. And while I was there, I borrowed a book from him called This Band Could Be Your Life by a guy called Michael Azarad, or Aswad, as I like to think of him. And the first chapter's about Black Flag. Oh, right. Who I was never, like, insanely into, although Rob was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really good about how, like, the kind of ethic behind being in a band like that back then, when Henry Rollins joined and, like, the tensions. Mm. But the bit that reminded me about us was the insistence on rehearsing six days a week, even when... They mm-hmm. didn't have record deals or tour a lot. And they toured a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot more than we ever did. And we toured a lot. Yeah. And um, it reminded me of touring America uh-huh. with Fear Before the March of Flames. Uh-huh. Because it was that, it sounds like that sort of touring. Mm-hmm. And as in relentless and like exhausting. Gigs, driving for days. Tiny, tiny dive bars. Yeah. Meeting scary people people in Mm -hmm. america because america was scary just existing between truck stops that was 2007 wasn't it america was scary then imagine what it's like now i think it's fine now yeah so that's what i hear it looks good yeah on the news i'm just going to switch off the buzzing amp oh but it's authentic because we're recording today in a practice room where we're actually practicing to go to play a festival called arc tangent which is something to do with maths it's something to do with algebra 
Right. We've played there a few times. We once headlined it. I think we headlined the first one, didn't we? Oh, my God. Did we? Uh, in fact, this is the fourth time we'll have played it, because we definitely played it before. We went on before Future of the Left. Did we? If that's the same festival I'm thinking of, yep. Or just after. Maybe it was just after. I believe you. Okay, that was great. They played a great show. Mm -hmm. They slagged off post-rock or a specific post-rock band that was also playing. That was good. And I think (laughs) by proxy, I imagine that they probably would have slagged us off given the chance. No doubt. Which I love. Exciting. Um, Good band, though. Uh And then we went back and played, was it the rainy one? Or was that a different festival? My memory. The last one was rainy, for sure. No, not the last one. Oh. When we actually headlined. Um... I, mean, I, I think that, maybe was, the I think that was the first one, to be it's honest. The same gig. Okay. And it was probably raining. And we had a great time. Yep. Um, and it's a festival that specialises in putting on, what do you even call it now? Uh, I can't say alternative music because all music is fractured. Yeah. But it's like lots ba- of Bands who don't have big record labels behind them, who don't have, really have that... Yeah, I guess that's that true. ...that sort of support network that lifts them past the kind of nonsense that we've always existed in and... Yes. You, know, you can skip to the front of the six music queue or whatever. Bands who don't have that little... It's the back of the six music queue. Yeah. Except did they have someone famous last... Like they actually had someone famous. It's what's growing as like a festival, Cigar- isn't it? Did they have Ross play? Uh, no. Not true. No. Explosion in the Sky? Yes. And it's, is it it's Coheed and Cambria? Oh who, my God. I don't really know. We saw them supporting... But, um, who did we see? aren't they? We watched them supporting Thursday. Did we? Do you remember Thursday? Uh, just about. I'm not sure I've ever seen Thursday though. Who did we see them supporting them? We went to Manchester. Converge? They supported Converge. I don't know. I'm making it up. I remember seeing Converge, for sure. We, um, mm. I don't remember seeing Thursday. We saw Converge a bunch of times. Yeah. What a band. Anyway, Arctangent. So, yeah, that's going to be good. So And then we went back there and played quite a sketchy set mm-hmm. in a tent. Mm-hmm. And it's sketchy for hilarious reasons that probably... No one really knows about. Uh, well, basically, we forgot somebody, maybe a few people, forgot the laptops which we rely on to power the the electronic, the electronic side, side of okay. 65 days. And we left them in Sheffield and drove to a field in Bristol. And then just before we were going on, or an hour before we were going on, realised that they weren't with us, which involved me and Paul and our brilliant tour manager, Melanie, driving to one of the volunteer steward at the festival's house. Because mm-hmm. there was no Wi-Fi on the site. There was right. no signal of any kind. She was a really nice lady. She was really young. She was a single mum, and she was studying music production and technology at college. She probably quit after, after me. Probably <laughs> after that. And you used her TalkTalk uh, Talk internet broadband <laughs> to download <laughs> all the backup electronics from whatever cloud thing uh-huh. we use that I have no idea about and so we had we instead of playing the set we were going to play we had to play this quite Wh- whatever sp- stems whatever we set. had <laughs> that we could uh, turn into a on the fly and because you know it's such a cool festival which is kind of like made for a band like us to be at the audience were amazing and there was a really good atmosphere but um, we were also like oh man now we have to play obscure song number three instead of like this other stuff that we're into at the moment all of our unobscure songs <sighs> yeah <laughs> so we're going back to do it again mm-hmm. with the laptops hopefully well let's see <laughs> well they're here now so um and frank yeah we're also training 
ex-guitar tech Frank to play extra guitar in 65, which is a big step, really. And I don't know, maybe we could talk about that because it's it's a big thing, but it's also happened. No one's really, we haven't made much of a fuss about it. We've suddenly got to this weird point where it's not like a weird, like, third album point. It's like we're like eight albums into this and mm-hmm. suddenly we've realised that having someone to play, like, f- little fat extra guitar and uh, little bits of guitar that slot in kind of fill out the mm-hmm. the whole um, sound plus Frank looks really cool much cooler than any of us absolutely he's got tattoos he's got tiny seeking eyes that seek out people in the audience and make them enjoy it <laughs> yeah it's going to be good he's got quite I guess sexy hands he's got quite sexy useful. hands he, wear, he plays a guitar with that's got thicker strings on than any of us and we still don't really understand why, but it's cool. <laughs> and like blokes who are into guitars, like nod their heads at it. You can see them like, oh yeah, that guy's. He's got the fat strings on. Yeah. These other two guys have got the thin strings on. Well, it hurts the fingers less, doesn't it? Yeah. You've got tiny fingers. So yeah, that's. I hope that's interesting. That's a gimmick for the show, really, isn't it? It's, it's... A hot guy playing <laughs> yeah. playing well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess if people are listening to this in the first place. They've probably seen Frank. Like, if they've ever seen us before, for a long period of time, he was our main guitar tech. He used to fall over. Often fall over on stage. He'd often lose quite a lot of our equipment. He'd often do it gigs in his pyjamas because he was hungover. That's uh-huh. when he was young. And he used to be in a band called the Miramar Disaster from Sheffield, who we also toured with once upon a time. And um, I went to see them last week. Yeah, they did a reunion show, didn't they? A ten-year, yeah, or even longer than that, a special reunion and they actually said thanks to us at that gig. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Yep, it was so nice. I was sick into my pint. <laughs> no, it was really nice, and they were really good. Yeah, I bet they were. Arguably better than they were 10 years ago. Right. Really good. Is that it, though? Are they just... Yeah, I think so. I think it was like a goodbye thing. I saw a lot of people out the other night who hadn't seen for years. I ran away. So the new record's been announced now, mm-hmm. and it's called Replica 2019. <laughs> it's not Replica spelt wrong on purpose, Replica 2019, and yeah, it's really good, I think. I reckon. It's very different, isn't it? I, or I is it? So. I don't know. It feels very different for us. Yeah, it's got less guitars and drums on, but that's not what makes it different. I think if we're going to talk about it, we should talk about it articulately. Yeah. So... How did we come to make a record like that? So part of the reason the record is coming out later in the year is because we worked on a computer game called No Man's Sky for so long and that became so immersive, is one word. Protracted is another word. And we had to input a lot of soundscapey music that was quite a certain ilk. Mm -hmm. At the end of that, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but it kind of felt like the second natural cut-off point of 65, the other one being about 10 years ago, where it was kind of like exhausted all those, that palette of sound and and yeah. compositional... Yeah, I'd say so, even more than this. Like, there's all the soundscape stuff, but all of the, like the, the proper songs on No Man's Sky that were very grand and melodic and old-school 65 which was absolutely not the record that we were going to make, like the record that we were about to make bef- back in 2014, 2015, when No Man's Sky 
kind of started for us. We were already about to head down this very different track, I think. But it's kind of good that it took so long because I think yeah. it made that when we finally got to this new track, it was very, very different. Mm-hmm. And so in, in response to having made all that music, we didn't really feel like, well, let's just write another 10, 12 song album. Because I think having that experience with the game and the way that you have to write in that way, which is quite different, mm-hmm. meant that we couldn't really think straight about what we should do next. And so instead we started making a lot of music. It's a sort of algorithmic it's, detour, wasn't it? Yeah. Which was born out of the computer game stuff because we learned so much, like so much making No Man's Sky that actually by the end of it, what we were sending to the game was, I don't want to say compromised because we were working to the specs of the game, but we'd sort of invented new ways that, that transcended the generative stuff in the game and we wanted to kind of like ex- explore that but for ourselves. Yeah. And a, a little bit came from your PhD and looking at generative, like writing algorithmic software, maybe? I guess so, yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to think that it's the sort of the thing that we would have got to anyway. Yeah. I guess that maybe focused it a little bit. And being really, really bored of guitars. Yeah. And just like... For a bit. Arranging. Plus, actually, there was this sort of the more parallel to that, these books that we were all reading, like... Uh, like that Inventing the Future book yeah, uh, was a bit of a, a key text, I reckon. That whole idea that there's many more important things going on in the world than being in a band, but um, there is a valuable role for like artists and for just culture in general, which is imagining better futures, because if we can't even imagine them as, as a society, how do, we, how do we get to them? Like, how do we start to build them? And so experimenting with that, trying to think about this is like post-scarcity stuff, isn't it? Fully automated luxury communism or automated composition. Yes. This sort of... Or the Paul Mason, Aaron Bastani school of thought. Yeah, which is very unlike us. We're not very Positive. utopian people, are we? Um, but just trying to be valuable, trying to find new ways of making music. And the generative stuff fed into that, this idea of endless streams of music that get away from the, you know, the commodity form of music and just becomes this ephemeral thing that can be detached from capitalism, which of course is impossible because it's not impossible, but even the idea of a band is actually a commodity when you start to, to really get kind of get lost in the weeds of all of that stuff. And when the management start asking for new t-shirt designs and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, um, and that's that's that whole capitalist realism, I suppose, isn't it? Like It's so hard to imagine anything outside of these structures that we've always existed in. But generative algorithmic stuff, it, it allowed little sort of hints at that or glimpses of that. The, the live coding people, I think, are much better at it than we are because... I was going to say the live coding thing was quite a good well, we were de- sort of, detour that yeah, you took detour, yeah, you did we, those live like, coding nights. And we, we've been working musicians for like, what, 15, 16 years now and mm. we have to always have an eye, an eye on paying the bills and, and whatever. But the live coding people, they don't rely on it to make a living. They're doing it out of love and, uh, and just the enthusiasm for the music and the community and... It's good to be reminded of that. It's great to be reminded of that, yes. and and they're doing it in this sort of, you know, they've got a, like a, they've got like community guidelines, and that's open source, and all of the code is always open source, and it's not really about the person on the stage, the, the kind of hierarchy of artists and so the, the ritual sense, of the show. It's all kind of getting deconstructed, and that's that's great. And I it's think. about imagining a fu- a future. Yeah, absolutely. A, like uh, a way, like of an, an actual new future. Yeah, um, where which is not what you encounter in the music industry. It's so then this documentary happened and then there was a bit of 
controversy about the exclusion of women in that documentary. Yeah. Because you were in the documentary. I was in the documentary, and I guess we can put a link in it. Yeah. And the guys making it were really well-intentioned. I don't think they did it deliberately, but then that's the patriarchy, isn't it? It's all good intentions and Mm -hmm. inadvertent silencing of various voices. I think, and again, to the credit of the live coding community, it wasn't just a sort of outright rejection of it. It was a bit more subtle than that. Mm. It was like, look, there's problems with this video. There's really interesting stuff in this video. It just doesn't tell the whole story. Mm. And this needs to be, you know, addressed. Mm. We We should find out more about that probably yeah talk to some live coding people or something down yeah. down the line i don't know but anyway we 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 were experimenting with all of that and maybe because we're not computer scientists ultimately we hit some walls in terms of the algorithmic techniques that we could use or employ and all of that generative stuff we made so much music mm. but we always knew it was process, wasn't it, in the end? It was like, in the end, we didn't let computers write music for us, but we used some of those algorithms and some of those engines that you'd written mm-hmm. as kind of jump-offs. So it's about uh, it's about getting a different angle, as you say, or like yeah, get, coming at music from a different... Just breaking this, the pattern. Like every iteration of the live show that we were doing or the, the music we were writing, we were finding ourselves like removing control from the algorithms, adding more intention, like more human intentionality. Yeah. But, and by the end of the kind of the decomposition theory live shows, the last outing that we did was so much less algorithmic uh, than the, the first stuff was. And I think like that kind of authenticity doesn't bother us because we're not, because it isn't a research project for a PhD and it's not part of a live coding community whose ethos is very much about pushing in this certain direction. We're just a band. And so us kind of retreating from any of these, for any, from any, any kind of idea of purity in algorithmic music didn't matter. Um, and uh, I think that's what led us to the record, right? Like we, we, went, we, went through all, we went through this massive detour and then it's like, right, actually rather than sort of carve music out of all of these noises or sort of curate this output into yeah. music, let's let's go back to, um, let's now that we know all that, let's build something from the ground up. Yes. Very, very purposefully. Yes. Uh, that's tight and focused and isn't this sprawling thing like No Man's Sky. Sure. And it's not this endless music. It's a, so in the meantime, a lot of that generative stuff or experiments, a lot of those experiments are being released as part of a subscription, which most people listening to would probably be aware of now. Mm-hmm. And that's like a model of releasing music. The only t- other time we've tried to release music without the help of a record label, and I use help in the loosest possible sense of the <laughs> word, was with Silent Running when we made, mm. and then we crowdfunded the release. But this was a way of releasing. We just decided to release music digitally. It's not particularly groundbreaking anymore. Lots of people are doing that because the internet is everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we're releasing 12 EPs over 12 months for in return for a subscription payment, which has no kind of middle group. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just us and people who want to listen to our music. And that's been really cool to wait to get that music out yeah. in small little bites. Yeah, um, It's never going to exist on CD or vinyl. Or doubtful, like yeah. It's well, doubtful, yeah. And that seems to be going really well. But that's kind of all, most of that as, is part of this period of time that we're talking about post No Man's Sky with lots of 
algorithms and live coding and um, just working on various bits. And then there's a couple of recordings from some like conceptual art projects that we did mm-hmm. um, that we've released as well. And it's all just, I think, it's all in there. People are enjoying it. It doesn't have the same pressures on it that making a record an album no has, no which is really freeing it's great like the last one the breakcore stuff tolly weirds yeah that's like it sounds quite a lot like apex twin mm. it would never pass our various levels of quality control in terms of getting on a 65 record where it, we really want to make our own sound yeah but apex Twin's great and we all like that yeah and we love making glitchy beats and stuff and that's just the perfect outlet for it it's good enough to be released you know it's good yeah. enough to share yeah yeah and and having it as part of this it just takes the pressure off it sonically or generically yeah. or something like well. uh it's just another thing amongst all of these other I don't know, it just sort of it, it illustrates the scope of all of the stuff that we go through to try and make a record i suppose and if it doesn't it, it's just good fun to listen to yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, it's just some, it's just some, some banging beats. Just some it? dudes making breaks, man. <laughs> um, but then obviously that led us to the record. Mm-hmm. Gave up on the whole utopian thinking. It's pretty bleak. Got back down and dirty with dystopia, and <laughs> uh, and it's cool. It's cool, it, and. It's called Replica 2019 because of, well, because of Walter Benjamin. Yeah, although I had to explain that. We had his book, The Arcade Project, Mm. which is about the size of four bricks laid on top of each other, Judeo, because it looked cool. You mean it looked cool to have and read, not it looked cool in a social media way? Because we didn't, Yeah, wasn't like, put that in the studio, it will look cool. (laughs) No, just, just well, we probably should have done if we have any. Yeah, but any we didn't. Kind of, no. Um, no, it's a great book. It's like it's it's sort of him in the nineteenth century, uh, no, early twentieth century, yeah. prophesizing like, specifically like commodity fetish, I think, and you know the it's about the arcades, like the the Parisian arcades mm-hmm. and and what they would turn into, like that sort of the luxury of shopping and the the safety and the warmth and the right the glow of these exotic places where you could go and buy goods right and how we and just, kind of since then have been like trained to want things mm-hmm. and we it happens all the time doesn't it i mean it's at fever pitch really isn't it with like one click amazon mm-hmm. um which i'm sure lots of people have tried to resist in their lives but i'm sure lots of other people like just i have friends who just click on amazon all day because it you just get stuff in the post and it comes in 24 hours and mm-hmm. And meanwhile, life is really hard. Yeah. And if you can just click a thing to to get through the day. Sure. It's like, and even the like the things that we're supposed to be or allegedly supposed to be doing to make the world better are co-opted by that mechanism. Mm-hmm. They're capitalised. So, you know, buying keep cups for your takeaway coffee or um, it's all folded in so that you have to get the latest one or... You know, Instagram's always telling me to buy stuff that I've just said out loud, which I think means my phone's listening to me. Mm. And also, um, it means I'm being sold a lot of short sleeve shirts that I don't want. Because <laughs> um, I say short sleeve shirt out loud a lot. 
but you, uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. So sorry to go back to Benjamin and like it was a very it was very very hard to name this record. Yeah, we do, right? you don't have to explain the album title. You just have to kind of we're just talking about what we've kind of which we're trying to get at there. It's um what's the famous Benjamin essay um repetitions in a machine age. Um, the state of art in the age of mechanical reproduction. Yes, that one. Can't remember the exact. Yes, the state of art in the age when. of mechanical reproduction. So, I mean, I think the the 2019 part is explainable. I think it's sort of like a a semaphore, right? Like it's a a, a stick in 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 time. Like this, because well, Benjamin's um, thesis on history as well. Uh, the um, the dark angel looking backwards. Yeah, angel of progress, like, being forced into the future, but with the back to the future. All I can see is like the the wreckage of the past piling up behind us, yes. sort of trying to make sense of everything that's it's like a, uh, this sort of materials view of history, which is both essential and cursed because um, you can you're always creating what history is in the moment, uh, and from these various arenas of power, change your perspective on 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 what history is. And oh god, I'm I'm, I'm butchering this. But it's just a way of understanding how how slippery time has become, and how the kind of grand narratives of modernity of the of the twentieth century have all disintegrated, and where we are now is this a temporal wasteland with no future clear to us, and everything just dissolving. And in terms of culture, just this recycling faster and faster, this kind of ontological repetition of genres smashed together and getting replicated I suppose but uh, getting changed along the way and corrupted along the way um, and it's hard to know what year it even is and it gets faster and more confused and because this was supposed to be the future it was supposed to be the future and it isn't for for most people no it's gone away hasn't it mm. um, but history is still very much happening uh, like because it, because that's the other thing all of this post postmodern malaise or whatever you want to call it is it's still just an illusion mm. because time is moving forward mm. uh toward barbarism seemingly mm. with um trump and johnson and yeah and climate disaster the white boys are back uh, and meanwhile cult- uh, like culture is paralyzed mm. in this in this little like ever this ever diminishing little recycling of itself mm. um and um rather than try and conjure up a utopian vision of what happens beyond that, I guess we were just trying to deal with that. Deal with it, look at it dead on, and and turn it into uh, into into some noise. Cool. Well, that's out in September. If <laughs> if there is a September, yeah. Uh, Frank's here with beer. Great. Uh, should we wrap it up then? Yeah, we'll add to this later. Maybe from the festival. Maybe we won't. Go fuck yourself.